Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. Today's interview is with Paul Zelizer, host of the Awarepreneurs podcast and one of the true leaders in the social enterprise ecosystem. Since 1993, Paul has worked with and led programs for over 30,000 leaders, working for positive change in and through their organizations. He is one of the first business coaches to focus on the needs of social entrepreneurs and impact business leaders. As part of the marketing team for Wisdom 2.0, a renowned conscious brand, he helped grow the yearly conference from 650 to 1,800 attendees in one year. In 2017, he founded Awarepreneurs as a way to amplify the practices successful social enterprise leaders use. The Awarepreneurs podcast recently released their 300th episode and is one of the leading social entrepreneur podcasts. Paul maintains a busy coaching and consulting practice, working with impact-focused founders and leaders. Please welcome Paul to the podcast. Well, welcome, Paul Zelizer, to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. We're just so thrilled to have you here. Uh, you are the a podcast host yourself for Awarepreneurs, one of the longest-running Social Enterprise Alliance podcasts. So thrilled to have you here and uh, excited just to see where the conversation takes us, especially with your uh, breadth of wisdom. Thanks for having me, David, and uh, thanks to the Social Enterprise Alliance, and a big congratulations to you on your book. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, thank I'm you. so excited. Awesome book, and yeah, just I have I've worked on a bunch of book launches. I know what it takes. So when I say <laughs> congratulations, it's with a deep reverence. It's an informed congratulations, not a theoretical one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. It's definitely a labor of love, and and the work is just getting started. So so thank you. Well, let's dive right in. Uh, you've been a social entrepreneurship coach for quite some time. So I'm very curious. I, I feel like as I read your bio, you've been ahead of the curve just in your career and where our society has been in terms of social enterprise and that conversation. Um, what drew you into that sector? It's a great question, David. So one of the things, and this is not a religious thing, this is more a spiritual thing, but one of the things to understand about me is I'm Jewish. I'm a, I'm a New York Jew um, who's lived in New Mexico since 1993. Um, and, and there's a cultural, there, there, Jews are overrepresented in movements like this. Uh, one way of thinking about it is a frame called tikkun or tikkun alum, the great healing, or to work towards healing the world is a cultural value from the Jewish tradition I come from. From. And again, matter of fact, the tradition I come from, if somebody wanted to convert, you send them away three times. No, you don't want to do this. This is a hard pass. So I am not trying to convert any. I'm just trying to help yeah. people understand because when I was 17 years old, I was volunteering with teens in a drug and alcohol re rehab. I've literally never done any. I did a little bit of landscaping in college to like just pay the bills. But basically, 
My first career was in community mental health and community organizing. That was about helping people in very tangible ways. A lot of that here in New Mexico, a lot of that in northern New Mexico, small towns. There might be a clinic and a school and a church and pretty much nothing else, right? Really small communities that had a lot of informal resources, but not that many formal ones. So did that for 15 years. Uh, loved the work and helping people, but burned out. I got tired of being a broke social worker. I had a kid at the time. It was time to like go make some money and all the horsepower was over in business. And I was like in the social change world and trying to both do the work in under-resourced situations. I was like, I can't do this anymore, but I'm wired to want to help. What do I do? And this was in 2007, 2008 that I really was reinventing myself. We didn't even know how to find each other back then. Were we talking about conscious capitalism or were we talking about social enterprise? Were we talking about social entrepreneurship? Were we talking about business for good? Were we talking about conscious leader? Those terms are all being thrown around and they still are to a degree. But I think we've landed on some vocabulary and we're finding each other and they're much more robust um, movements. But that, yeah, that's how I got there is, you know, burnt out social worker who's like, I got to figure out how to harm, you know, get, go play where the horsepower is, where business is, but I got to keep those values because I can't not do it. I'm just wired that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely relate to that, um, that story quite a bit. Just on my personal path has some similar similarities to that. Um, so that's amazing to hear. And, and I think you're right. I think so many of us that get started in this path, it's, it's value driven. We've, here's the life that this is the way we believe that the world should be. And, you know, we see the, how, how do we use these tools of business to, to inform and shape, um, our values and, and bring them to life. So, uh, you know, really the next question I'm, I'm really very curious to ask is, because you've been at this for quite a while, I'd love to see your perspective. Like, how have you seen this landscape change in the past 20 years? Well, it's gone from a bit on the edge. I, I have had a history of being early in my life. Sometimes a mentor, <laughs> a mentor mind says, sometimes you're not wrong. You're just early. Um, so if you're out there listening and you're like, oh, I think this could work and it is a little slower than you want, sometimes you're just early, right? And that has both benefits, like getting on Twitter in 2008 when nobody knew what Twitter was, right? Especially here in New Mexico, that was both hard, but it also opened doors for me to form connections because back in the day, the number of people who were talking about social entrepreneurship and change leveraging business was quite small. So suddenly I found myself and talking to Silicon Valley executives who were literally running billion dollar a year companies. And I was a burnt out social worker trying to figure, but we shared the values and there just weren't that many of us. They said, come on out, you know, and I went to Google and I went to Zappos and I went to LinkedIn and I went to Facebook and I worked for a conference. You know, I got good at social media. So I got hired for a conference in Silicon Valley and I built my skills in a way that, um, was pretty unique. I had no formal training, but a lot of passion and people who like built Twitter taught me here's if I was going to use Twitter for social change, here's how I would do it from the chief Mm -hmm. technology officer at Twitter. So I got some pretty good coaching. (laughs) Let's just say that. Right. And, uh, learned how to take some of those skills about community organizing that I learned offline from incredible community organizers here in New Mexico and bring that online with some coaching from people who built these online platforms and turned out it got some traction. And yeah, so 
um, found my way into that, you know, conversation. There wasn't very robust back then in New Mexico at all. So it was almost all online and traveling and built up a reputation as somebody who's really passionate about social entrepreneurship and started coaching social entrepreneurs. And here I am 16 years later with a podcast and starting networks and an impact podcast accelerator and working with clients all around the world. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah. And you've, have you seen, how have you seen the sector evolve? Like, how oh, have you seen? Sector, yeah. yeah. It's changed massively from where, where do I find some other people? You know, John Mackey's book, Conscious Capitalism, was pretty new in the mid 2000s, late 2000s. So that was a conversation starter. Um, you know, but there were a few books, there were a few organizations. I've since got to interview some amazing people like Tom Bozo, the CEO of Homeboy Industries. That was one very early. Um, they work helping people coming out of prison, get jobs and build lives in a very, you know, sustainable way and reduce recidivism or revolution foods, which brings organic or healthy foods into communities through the school lunch program. And, you know, Kristen Toby, they've been around almost 20 years now. Homeboys going on 40. Um, so there were a few pioneers. So Nina Simons is a co-founder of Bioneers and they are coming up on 40 year anniversary. So there were a few like companies that, and, and organizations that were doing this early, but there were a few. <laughs> and right, right. you look back, you know, I've been at it 16 years now. You look where we are now, where social entrepreneurship is one of the fastest growing majors on college campuses around the world. And everybody from Facebook to Walmart to Patagonia has some element of social impact in their brand because it's just a demand. If you, I tell people, if you want to have any clients or customers under the age of 35, you pretty much have to have some way that you're trying to move the needle as an entity, as a whole organization, not just the individuals, but as an entity, as a company that you're trying to make the world a better place. And, you know, those very passionate impact folks they used to be 18 and now they're 35 and soon they'll be 40 and now they're running companies right, and right. they won't do business with you they won't buy their shoes or sign up to be your consultant or be your coders if in many cases if you have no um way of saying this business isn't just about making money we're also trying to make the world a better place in some little way yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of that in the, um, you know, we, we still have industries that are, are deeply impacted from being able to hire people. There seems to be this constant conversation of um, uh, a labor force that is not interested in working. Uh, but I, at least in my experiences, it, it, it doesn't seem to be affecting this, our sector as much. And I think to your point, like, not only is it a shift in that if you're going to hire someone that's under 35, these are the values that they expect uh, to work for these four companies and to be purchasing from these companies. hundred so, percent, David, hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. I can give lots of examples of that, but I asked that of, you know, in my podcast, I'm blessed to be able to interview people at scale. Uh, so I asked this question, for instance, recently, of Prashant Samant, and he is the CEO of this incredible, um, it's high-tech and high-touch 
organization in Southern California called Aikido Labs. They have 750 employees. They raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're using AI to kind of predict what some of the challenges in terms of healthcare that homeless people are facing and what's the most effective and highest return investment on helping folks who, you know, are really living in tough, challenging situations. And then high touch. So they, it's about 50 50. Um, half of their team are in mobile medical units and they'll go out in a van and like if you can't get to a clinic because you're living in a tent and you don't have transportation or you're just totally overwhelmed because you're dealing with the realities of being homeless, great. Just tell us where you are and we'll come to you, right? Um, so they've built this incredible business called Aikido Labs and I asked Prashant, I said, a lot of tech, you know, the, half their company is high tech to do all this predictive stuff. And I said, a lot of people are saying they're having a hard time getting really top talent. My experience is people in this, doing this kind of business, that's not the case, but I don't have 750 employees. What's your right. experience, right? right and right. he said, oh, 100%. Like I get more resumes than I know what to do with. I wish I could hire faster, but our people like love working here. They might even make a little bit less money. We pay them well, but you know, we're not Facebook or whoever that can afford a different, they just have more zeros in their budget, but people love working here. They tell their friends and and we don't have anywhere near the turnover that other organizations with somebody with similar skill set. They love working at Aikido Labs and they want to stay. So um, I ask that a lot. And from really world-class leaders, what I hear over and over again is we're not struggling with that at all. We're trying to figure out how to grow and bring more, even more amazing people into this great work. Yeah, that's so that's really cool. And if, if you're not a social enterprise or you are have a business that wants to think about having impact that if there's, I mean, that right alone should be motivation. Um, of course, keeping in our values is, is <laughs> what should be the first, but well, uh, so you kind of touched on something else that I want to talk about. Uh, and that is your passion around scaling social enterprises. So here's this organization and it's like, they can't grow fast enough. Um, I know a lot of the people that we've been attracting, for SEA in the last couple of years are, are in that more journey or startup space. Uh, yet we do have a, a large number of members that are, have been social enterprises for a number of years, um, and are very well established. And I think are at that tipping point where they're, they are looking at, uh, um, okay, we have a workforce that we're attracting. We have more and more people that are aware of the sector. We're really at this point where we should be scaling. Well, scaling is a whole different conversation uh, for any business. And I really am curious to hear about, I think you have five steps to consciously scale, um, which is a challenge in itself. So can you expand on what those steps are for social enterprises that are looking to grow to that next level? Absolutely. There And it's four steps for now, let's call it four, and there's an extra bonus one. And um, these steps will apply wherever you are, but, but I did want to address particularly growth stage. That's something I've come to work with, growth stage companies who are up and running and have something called product market fit. In other words, they have a product or a service that people actually want, whether it's a membership or 
you know, the customer for Aikido Labs or hospitals or municipalities, they have this great service and it's very expensive if you're a hospital chain and somebody needs a lot of care over and over again because they're living in really hard circumstances and they don't have health insurance. So that's the, that's right. the product for, you know, Aikido Labs. Anyway, so the, the four questions that I teach people wherever they are, but it's a little bit different whether you're a startup or a growth stage. The four questions are your why. That's your core values and your impact statement, right? If you're a startup, please do this first. I see so many people, Paul, we built this thing. Now, how do we sell it? Like you did it backwards. Don't mm -hmm. first get your values and the impact you want to have. Then let's talk about the thing. And sometimes that changes radically. Um, for growth stage people, what I find is sometimes as they're growing, we just need to circle back around and refine the the values or just make sure they're still relevant to where you are now and where you're trying to get to. We can see a little bit of shift as just, you know, in the military, they say no plan survives the first point of contact. So if you've been up and running for a while, what you thought your values were and the impact you want to have when you've been up and running for three, five, seven years, and now it's actually selling, you might have gone some pivots small or maybe large and not quite circled around. So the first thing is circle around, check your values, any changes there, and be intentional about your impact. Sometimes what the impact statement is, oh, well, we're serving you know, a hundred people a month. And now we want to get that to a hundred thousand, right? So your impact statement for growth oftentimes needs a little bit of refinement, right? So that's question number one, your why. The second question is your who, who do you want to help? And again, sometimes this changes along the way. And again, so oftentimes people want to talk about the last two questions, which is the what and the how, what should I build or this feature or that feature, should I build it on this platform or should I do a no code app or should we build it from scratch? Great questions. You're asking it out of order and you're likely to be really disappointed by the results. So if you're a startup, really, I was doing this work earlier today with a startup founder who had a failure. And one of the things she realized earlier on is she hadn't really dialed in her who. And she didn't really know her ideal client and it was very vague. And so today we're really getting into both the demographics and the psychographics of who our ideal client was. We didn't used to talk about this stuff so much in social entrepreneurship 16 right. years ago, right? right. Um, but the, I think it's a good thing. We're just getting much more granular about these things. So you're who get into the details of one or more client avatars, customer avatars, and really get into like, how old are they? Where do they live? What might they do for work? And then even more so than the things that would be on a census, a census form, those are called demographics, your psychographics, right? What, how do they think? What do they perceive the world? You might have two people be super interested in fitness, but one of them is into restorative yoga and another one is into like boot camps or CrossFit, right? They're both, but they're both fitness and they both wear like workout sneakers, but totally different in their right. mindsets, values, and how they relate, the vocabulary they use, which music they might listen to. Anyway, those things matter. So really dial in, get your avatar or avatars together Again, if you're a startup, really spend time there. If you're ready for growth, just refine that. Come back to that. And again, there likely are some tweaks or some changes than what you thought it was two years ago when you kind of got up and running. Let's just circle back around and polish that up. Then the third question is the what. 
what is the actual product or service or plural services, products, that are going to help that ideal person. We can stay with the Keto Labs. Their product is this combination of using a predictive software combined with these high-touch medical providers who will go anywhere in the region that they serve to provide care with folks who have very little resources and um, don't even have a place to live, right? So what is that product or service startups? Really spend some time there. Make sure that you sync it up with your values and who you want to serve. Growth stage folks, like circle back around and say like, again, where might it have changed that we weren't entirely conscious and how do we make sure that those things are all aligned up, right? Our why, our who, and then the what, our product and our service have all got a really nice alignment between them. The last question, the fourth question, at least for the startups, hold on growth stage folks, we're gonna to talk to you about a special fifth one for you, um, that's the how. So now that you have a core value and an impact you want to make, you understand who you want to help, both in terms of on the inside and the outside, demographics and psychographics, then we want to take a look at your product or your service. Now, like, how are we going to get it in front of more people, right? And is that through strategic partnerships? Is that through um, more marketing? Is that through a podcast guesting strategy? Like how are we going to get it in the marketplace in a more robust way? And then for startups who usually oftentimes, at least in the social enterprise space, don't have a ton of money, a lot of that is going to be a little bit slower build unless you can get some early stage investment. And we can talk about that in a second, right? But for startups, it's like starting to get your first customers, start to get some wins and a lot of that wants to be the flywheel effect, like getting some organic wins and then build on it, right? Get a few wins, start telling the story, figure out what some of those marketing strategies that are going to work for you. I love podcast guesting, for instance, for a lot of impact brands because we don't have to do it in 17 seconds on a <laughs> TikTok right, video. Right. I can spend a half an hour with you, David, and we can get into some nuance. Imagine trying to explain these like five steps in a 17-second video. It's hard it, it, for our kind of complex brand. Um, but whatever, you're going to write blog posts, you're going to be on LinkedIn, you're going to do Instagram, you're going to do TikTok, whatever you're going to do. Um, start to build your muscles. For growth stage folks, right, you've already got something up and running and you're earning nice revenue. For you, then the question is, are you going to bootstrap to the next level? In other words, just work on increasing your revenue, or are you going to? Is this a good time to really take a look at investment? And I'm seeing more companies. Aikido Labs again is a good one. They come from the Y Combinator ecosystem, and they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars to get them to the point where they are now. To you know, 750 people on a team and very big contracts with big cities like Los Angeles and the hospital chains in those cities, they pay very well because the cost of not working with the keto labs is really high, right? If you live in the U.S., you know what medical care costs, especially emergency medical care in the U.S., right? So, so the, again, those questions are your why, your who, your what, your how, and then how are you going to pay for it? What's the, what, what kind of resources do you need? Both human capital and financial capital. So those would be those five steps that we're talking about. Dave. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And I love how that really, um, 
works well, whether you are in that sort of space or, you know, to reframe it as, uh, I think that's really smart to think about scaling as a time to check in and refine. Uh, so that's really fantastic. Um, so within all of this, the work that you find yourself in, so you've got the podcast that you do, the, the coaching aspects. I'm also very curious to know from your vantage point, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing social enterprises today? And then how would you, how do you address that? How do you coach people through that? It's a great question. Dave. There was some research. I think it came out in 2021. I'd have to check on it. It's out of Michigan. And a wonderful researcher had an intuition, and a lot of us who've been around for a while have had similar intuitions, And but he proved it. He found uh, the article title is literally um, research finds that traditional accelerators are not a good fit for social entrepreneurs. Pretty close if that's not exact. I think it was Fortune or Entrepreneur, it was in one of them, Fortune or Entrepreneur Magazine wrote a research summary article and you know decide listener for yourself do you trust fortune or do you trust entrepreneur i think it's a pretty reliable source right yeah. good re they don't they don't put junk research in that right so basically what he found is that when you take a social entrepreneur and you put them in a traditional accelerator if a listener doesn't know what an accelerator is an accelerator is for a company that's already up and running has at least halfway decent revenue um, I'm a coach for an accelerator here. New Mexico's economy is fairly small. We only have 2.2 million people. That accelerator, you have to have at least $250,000 a year of revenue and at least one full-time employee besides the founder. Um, so that gives you, okay, you're up and running. You're making halfway decent money and let's get, let's accelerate. Let's get some growth strategies and build a lot of resources, see if they need financing and help that $250,000 company get over a million. That's a pretty traditional, the numbers are higher in a place like San Francisco or New York, but you get an idea, right? If you take a social entrepreneur who's already up and running and you drop them into Accelerator, which is supposed to help their success go up, the failure rate goes up. They fail more often going into the environment that's supposed to help them succeed. And that's not true for many other types of businesses. Why is that? We can't prove this, but what the researcher for this paper said is that there's kind of a tension in that most accelerator, listen to the name, accelerator. It's aiming for fast growth, but many social entrepreneurs are trying to serve underserved communities or sticky issues. And, you know, if you're working on climate, it may take a little while for those trees to grow to whatever height to start sequestering carbon or just to build trust with a community. I interviewed somebody yesterday from the Latino community in East, uh, Southeast LA, and he started his work right after the Rodney King riots, and there were literally burned out buildings all around, and he's like, we got to do something. You can't go into a community like that and say, hey, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it fast. Like, literally, there's <laughs> burning yeah. buildings, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, you got to spend a little time and, like, build some trust. And traditional fast-growth business uh, advice sometimes is working mm -hmm. in a contradictory way to the kinds of issues that social entrepreneurs really want to work at. So that's one of the biggest challenges is how do you find support 
and good advice so that you can grow and get the resources and help more people and live a good quality of life, but understand that great advice for a business that isn't deeply committed to some sort of impact looks different than a business that is deeply committed. Hmm. That's uh, wow. That's super fascinating uh, to hear that perspective. And uh, when you explain it, it makes so much sense. Like, I think this is a point that I highlighted in my book is a lot of what I think we're talking about is the uh, story of the tortoise and the hare. And every time right. I read the book, the tortoise wins, right? <laughs> and so how do I, how do I build my business in a way that's foundational, which means treating my employees well, which means like where I'm at is trying to change to an employee ownership model, nice. um, which takes time. And it takes time to earn the trust of me to my employees, of my employees to me. But I, you know, the goal is that this organization is something that sticks around for a long time, for generations beyond any one person. Well, that's a very non-traditional approach to a small business. And um, really, I, I think that a lot of our economy in the U.S. specifically is built on that fast growth. Like, let's just, you know, scale it up. And, and when we talk about social enterprise, we are talking about a new version of an economy. We are talking about something different. And so, of course, it makes sense that it would be uh, very different than uh, the model that we live in. Absolutely, David. I think it can work fast growth. Um, Aikido Labs is a great example. They have grown from conception in 20, I think they launched in 2016, so six or seven years to 750 employees. Yeah. But they were careful about listening to the communities they were serving. And a lot of that fast growth was coming from their constituents, which are homeless folks who are like dying. The average um, age of death, according to Prashant, for somebody who's homeless in the U.S. is age 41 years old. So they're not saying grow slower. They're saying right. as they got to see what was happening, hey, we could use some more of this, right? There's a camp yeah. that's right across the, you know, the border of the county over there. Is there any way you can so, – so it's not always – Social enterprise means slow, but it means an extra layer of listening to the communities yeah, yeah. we want to serve. And sometimes we do need to move slower if there's trust issues like Arturo right. Schneider and what they're doing in Southeast LA. Sometimes the folks like, you know, Keto Labs and they're saying, please grow faster. You know, yeah. so it's not, it's not guaranteed that it's going to be slow, but it sometimes is going to be a different growth trajectory than somebody who's not trying to serve those kind of communities. Well, and I love what you just said there too. I think the ten, a lot of the tension is, you know, we find ourselves trying to really tackle hard problems and, and there's almost extra pressure to grow faster, right? right? We want, we want to make a major difference and, and we see something and when we see that we're having an impact, you know, we want to see that grow faster. So yeah, that's an interesting tension. And I love there's the, the layer aspect of, you know, how do we do that and add in listening um, or whatever it is that's required to, to keep in mind that impact strategy as well. It's fascinating. Well, uh, this is just, uh, you know, I know scratching the surface. Uh, thankfully, you are a wealth of resources as well. Um, so, of course, with your podcast, where can people find more about you and your work and, and give us you know, the links to where we can tap into deeper levels of these kinds of conversations? Sure. 
Thanks, David. First of all, thanks for having me. It's been a real honor, and thank you for your work. Um, people can find out more. The kind of two main brands or presences I have online. So the podcast, we just 301 episodes as of Tuesday. So we did our 300th episode celebration. Man. So obviously, you know, recently I had a new client hire me and I, and I said, yeah, let's do a free chat. She said, I've listened to at least 20 of your episodes. I mean, we have to do a free chat, but like you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get you. I hadn't even met her. I didn't know what she did yet. She's like, you're hired. I'm like, well, let's talk. So we talked and so there's a lot there, um, including a podcast accelerator for anybody, and it's called an Impact Podcast Accelerator. So if you want to learn about how to start a podcast and or how to be a guest, one of my favorite marketing strategies is being a guest on other podcasts, right? Let David and I take care of all the production, <laughs> making the nice gravity. You just show up and do a great job. I get to do that today. Thank you, David and team, right? Um, but I do a lot of being on the other side of it. So anyway, either side of the mic, um, check out our Impact Podcast Accelerator. And for my consulting and coaching, I'm doing more and more consulting with organizations and companies in addition to individual leaders. Um, that's at paulzelizer.com, my name, and that'll describe the offers that I have in the consulting and coaching realm. Well, very good. Um, yeah, I just really appreciate your work and I'm so thankful that you were ahead of the curve um, because it's giving uh, quite a, a unique perspective, I think, to this sector. Um, and uh, really just what an amazing resource to be able to, to find you and, and to learn from so many of the people that you've interviewed as well. So thank you so much for being a part of the sector, for the work that you're doing, for joining us today. And I can't wait to, to share this episode with our network. Thanks for having me again, David. I really appreciate it.